was put in the bin, put in the bowl yesterday, was about the relationship between self and suffering. And um, topic you can look at many times in different ways. But um, <clears throat> the start the language is always difficult. But in the Buddhist sense, we have two um, problematic levels of, of experience, or ways in which experience is met in a problematic way. One is the, uh, the self-view. So the first level of this is personality view. And second, and deeper level of that is is a more fundamental self notion or or sense of hold, of having holding a center, you know, and that's a bit difficult perhaps. But personality view is is the the first bit, and it's considered the first major fetter. So when we talk about enlightenment or awakening, then Kind of the the map of that really is a successive liberation from particular constrictions or patterns or fetters. The first is a personality view. So this acts as a kind of a, a fetter or something that cramps the potential that we have. Yeah. So consider that our personality is actually a form that's evolved when you first born, you don't have a personality, really. You've got, the t- you've got the tendencies to create one. The seeds are there. It hasn't formed. You've got a kind of a personality kit. But it hasn't actually, you know, come forth yet. And it, how does it come forth? It comes forth in the social realm. You know, it's the where you get approval or disapproval, basically those signals. So, oh, that's what I'll do more of because I've got some rewards there. You get some other human beings. So eventually the personality develops. And of course those praise, blame, approval, disapproval, welcome, unwelcome signals get extremely finely calibrated around behavior and performance and so forth. So the personality then forms really the interface between your basic sense of being something and what's around you, right? So a child, infant, has a sense of being. You know, they're, they're formed in a, a womb where, first of all, there isn't much even a sense of being separate. And you get separation, you get the sense of you're some, there's a something here. The first thing it tries to figure out is what it is. So it starts looking around, it sees little pink things distance away and realizes when it gets a feeling, there's something to do with this pink thing. That's me, you know, that thing out there. You know, oh, it's a sensation happened. That's that's the me bit. You know, so it gets some sense of being, which is which is uh, contiguous to the body. You know, and that these impressions are somehow retained. So you get a sense of the sense of being something becomes coherent. It's not just a who knows what. It's a as uh, a, a sense of for, a form takes place where sensations, motor operations are all kind of fitted together. So that's the bit. It can move, it can respond, 
that's the that's the that's the being bit, yeah. And uh, it, it can operate auto- with some degree of autonomy. So that's the being, you might say. And on top of that, you get the personality forms, which come later, which is more to do with how we form within a social, familial context, right? Those are forms, and the forms are um, acquired and are sustained. How is that possible? Do we have to think who we are every day? No. Do you have to have a little book telling you what your name is? And No, it's somehow it's remembered cognitively. And it's also remembered um, you know, intuitively. You get a sense of, well, I feel like me. You know, you know, I feel okay. There's a familiar sense. Um, you know, that, and it, this familiar sense, which, where's that, you know? Is it a thought? No. Is it uh, a mood? No. It's somehow the way that particular thoughts and moves and bodily sensations and bodily presence kind of line up in a familiar pattern. That's, that's the me bit, you know. And if some of that gets askew, we feel distressed. I don't feel like, I don't feel like myself today. You know, I'm not quite myself today. What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You're not yourself. <laughs> that means, you know, you think it isn't functioning properly, your emotions aren't ha- happening in the way that you, you feel comfortable with or your body energies are going out. So you don't feel like yourself anymore. So there's, a, so there's some sense of remembered familiarity. Now what carries that, that what we loosely call memory, are called sankharas. Sankharas are translated as formations, which doesn't really mean anything. Uh, programs, patterns, you might say. And there are three forms of that. One is the, the verbal or the thought patterning, which is particular trains of thought that we associate, you know, the way I think, the speed of it, the kind of muttering of it, the whining of it, the jumping of it, you know. That's, that's me, you know. And so it's, but it, you see it kind of operates at certain speeds, certain tonalities. That sounds like me, all right, you know. <laughs> you hear it going on, it seems like me. It's a pattern. Yeah. You try slowing it right down. Think really slowly. Take a simple thought and think it through really slow. It doesn't feel like me anymore. <laughs> so it's a, it's one of those little upayas or skillful means you can practice with when your mind is ranting or obsessive. It's just to take the particular obsessive track of thought, slow it right down. So you're thinking, oh, life is a waste of time and useless in the basket case, never get this together. Basket case. <laughs> and that, that's what happens, isn't it? You laugh because suddenly, suddenly you see, hey, it's not me. It's just the, just the, the tape loop. <laughs> so it's not really the thoughts that are a problem. It's the familiarity where they line up in particular speeds and nuances that have an emotional effect. And you believe in it. That's me. As saying a truth about me, yeah, because it's familiar. And familiarity is what we regard as truth. 
It's this like it's yesterday, day before, two years ago. There it is. Same thing. It must be true because it's familiar. Yeah. It's actually a conjuring trick repeated with incredible dexterity time and time again. And also you have, you have a memory which keeps deceiving you. Yeah. So it's actually proved that every time you remember something, you distort it. You don't do it deliberately. That's what memory does. So right now you probably think, oh, I'm miserable. I always was miserable. I've never been anything but miserable. People always hate me. No. You know, the mood of the moment picks the particular pieces of memory that will pick up. and then familiar, Familiarity comes with that. And you've created a person in the past who always was this way, and you know, so forth. And then from that, you can infer, always was this way, am this way, always will be this way. <laughs> That's why it's called suffering. Because <laughs> it just, you know, shuts down all the freshness, all the possibilities, all the liberation, all the playfulness, all the joyfulness. It just, <laughs> it's called sangsara, which literally means this continual... Um, treadmill it's not thoughts it's not emotions but it's the familiarity of the patterns that you go round and round and round like a gerbil on a treadmill running like crazy to try and get off it and you don't one doesn't that way because the pattern remains the same so that pattern is sankara so you have um, thought patterning and emotional patterning so particular familiar emotional trends and nuances. When I say emotion, I mean this in the broadest sense. I mean um, things like uh, impulse, um, the way I'm affected, whether I'm a quick reactor or a slow reactor, whether I'm someone who tends to you know, feel doubt or uncertain or whether I'm an impulsive person, whether I'm a kind of confident or wavering. You know? So I mean the heart sense in the broadest sense, and the particular patterns that, again, are very very, custom, very familiar. And we operate in them because that's kind of, you know, that, that's, the, that's the track. And the form track is the one that your energies will run down more easily than across unformed territory. So the more we operate in that way, the deeper those grooves, those tracks get made, eventually everything keeps moving down those tracks, right? That's Sankara. So if you imagine, you know, you see there's just a piece of wild land out there and you cut a pathway through it, yeah? So eventually you cut that pathway, the next time you come, well, there's a path. So you go down that path. Pretty soon that path becomes well-trodden. Other people see that, oh, there's a path there. That path gets wider and bigger there's cars going down it. And eventually, you know, that's what we do with our, our lives. We create particular pathways and then they become the easiest, familiar way to go. So we go down them time and time again. Till eventually, the idea that you go down any other path, any other way, becomes impossible because that's, that seems to be the way it is. Because yeah. that's, that's the trodden way, that's the beaten way. And these paths aren't always fun by any means. <laughs> you know, some of the defenses, um, worries, 
Yeah. So there are emotional patterns that become familiar. They get stuck when we go down them. Yeah. And some of these are ways of, of like coping by spacing out, for example, just you know, or something comes up with strange and we just, well, I don't know, help, somebody else tell me what to do, that, that kind of thing. Um, or it can be just reckless. So none of these, it's just the familiarity of them, the way that we keep rerunning our patterns because they are the obvious ones that present themselves. So this is the... And then you have the bodily one, which is much not really understood, but there's even a bodily sense of that, which you, when you meditate more, and particularly as you, your attention gets a bit more refined and settled, you sense when your eyes close and your mind softens just how you sense your body. Yeah. And it, it be, you can sense a particular kind of energy field, you might say. And sometimes it feels strangely constricted, like you feel strange, it's kind of tight band across my chest. There's no tight band across your cheek, look around, no. It looks the same old thing that it was yesterday, you know, physically. But yet there's energy constrictions, say across your chest, or, or you feel there's a big gaping hole somewhere, you know, or you feel that the body can't really settle, it's always sort of up somehow. There's not much bottom in it. So you begin to acknowledge these. There are um, bodily senses that also define, in some ways, our, our state of being, our, state, our sense of self. And this is really um, quite interesting. Because you know? once you sense this, you realize none of these are actually permanent, real, infallible unvariable, but they've become familiar. So something that goes back to that, the sankharas. Yeah? And the whole sense of what sankhara is hinges around sankharas. That is exactly it. Because yeah? the liberated is called the asankata. That is where the sankharas, when you come out of sankharas, that's called liberation, asankata. You, you, you're, not, you're not running those anymore. Doesn't mean there's no body. Doesn't mean there's no mind. Doesn't mean there's no thinking. What it means is is the tracks. You're off. You're off the beaten track. You're into free territory, and then you can pick up a pattern. You can pick up a thought. You don't have to become that. You don't have to identify with it. And this process of identification is not by any means a chosen. Um, Event, it's an instinctive event, the search for the familiar, you know, the instinct to go back to the familiar, the known, the automatic, because you know, that's the safe. Even if it's miserable, it's safe, <laughs> in, a, in a strange way. You know, why, why do we, something in us, keep generating patterns that we find depressing or upsetting or pointless? You know, the instinct to take a form is so strong that it will override the movement towards freedom. 
because in some ways it doesn't know what else to do apart from to go down those old tracks. It doesn't realize there are any other places to go. Because <laughs> those tracks are, are flagged. You know, it doesn't know there's any other territory. Mm-hmm. And so in meditation, in cultivation, you have to actually deliberately introduce, sort of like, you know, say, look, there's somewhere else. You could, tr- you could be this way, you know, this way. So you start to check your ways of thinking, your, way, your impulse habits, your effective habits, and even your sense of body, you know, which is primarily a samadhi experience, changing your body formation, loosening body formation. And in many set times, I've kind of touched upon this term widening, softening. And you wonder, maybe you wonder what I'm talking about. And it's exactly widening, softening is a very simple colloquial way of talking about just coming out of those grooves, out of those tracks. You widen out of them. It doesn't mean you, you've got to kind of break anything. It's just to be a bit bigger, wider than you've been or allowed yourself to be or, or thought you could be. And around that topic, there are all kinds of details, you know. Um, Some of them are psychological, how can we be broader-minded, how we can be more patient. That's a widening on on the psychological level, isn't it? Whereas instead of, you know, get my thing, get going, just just wait, patient, you know. Be a bit more spacious. But I talked about it more in a simple kind of bodily sense because unfortunately the main trap or the, is the personality view which makes um, carry certain compulsions to it. Yeah. And it's... Uh, um, so personality view, as I said, is, is those levels of formations of sankharas which are specifically induced through social contact. Yeah. And how does that... What is that inductive process? Well, praise, blame, you might say. Uh, love or withdrawal of it, um, you know, warmth and welcoming, or the withdrawal of that. So you do this, you're going to get shut out. So, and those, the, so those, so that, you know, and and the, all the ways in which that can happen. Say if you're too noisy, too or not, not outspoken, say you're too big or you're too small, you're too grubby or you're too this or that or the other, you know. So any ways in which those things can happen, you know, really based upon, you know, the the judgment of what's around us. And of course, in a highly socialized realm with a lot of performance criteria, then that particular process is carried through to a fine, very fine degree. 
you know, you're getting people are getting kind of bodies changed and getting their psychology checked out and your intelligence and your vigor and your health and your, you know, your personality is really appreciated, a bit more peppy, you know, or cooler or more more seedy even, you know. <laughs> if you're a bit too squeaky clean, you know, that's not too good either. You could be a bit kind of slovenly and grubby to be accepted. Otherwise, you're considered a bit Pollyanna, you know. So all this stuff is going on to to, to the, the personality kind of is formed around all that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, so that that's so as that's forming, it becomes the familiar because that's what's happening. So that's what you keep doing. The familiar becomes the norm. The familiar, the norm becomes the self. That is. It must be me because it was that way yesterday. That's what other people say I should be. So it must be me. <laughs> and we don't. It's not a thought process, but an instinctive process to to accept to move into a particular form. Yeah. And the personality form is is considered to if you can get past this view. That it is yourself, that it is true, that it is a refuge, it is something you want to hang on to or be valued by, then this is considered a very major uh, breakthrough because once you've kind of understood that, you begin to know the process of Dhamma because it's the same process that's continued through finer and finer levels. But the first bit is to actually recognize there are patterns, there is such a thing as bondage, and there is a freedom from it. Because we don't even necessarily recognize these bonds are bonds. Because some of it, it's okay sometimes. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's approved of, it works. It sort of works, you know, most of the time. Because personality, there's nothing wrong with personality, it is a form that arises because that it's effective. You know, in a social realm, you don't want to kind of be roughly the same person as you were yesterday just so that people can get your name right, you know. <laughs> and you don't have to, you know, so you've got roughly the same person as you were yesterday. So that makes life a lot tidier in social circumstances. So we have to keep who are you? Oh, for, oh right. <laughs> and, you, and it can store up all kinds of information and ways to do things. So it's okay. Uh, it's okay. But, uh, of course, it is, um, it is conditioned and therefore it's trapped in that. And some bits of it aren't okay because some of that patterning is is rather damaged or neurotic or you know comes through fear or um, grief or not being accepted so there's something wrong with me you know so most most people have somewhere in it there's a bit that feels you know a piece of that track that isn't so is not very comfortable well I had to accept it as it is 
And very often, the, once we've begun to recognize, well, things aren't all that absolutely wonderful at home, what seems to be our home base, which is his personality, well, how can I change it? Make it some other way. Which is a good idea, but unfortunately, the problem is that the personality tries to change the personality from a personality view. So because I'm this way and I shouldn't be like this, I'll try to be something else. And it, you, can't, you can't operate that, you can't do that. You know, personality can't liberate a personality. Can't liberate it, you know. So this is one of the, the kind of uh, um, big snags of any kind of aspiration towards liberation is we tend to be operating with personality because we don't know any other way to operate. We have heard it. We don't know it. We don't sense it. So even when teachings are given, you know, from a non-personal space, they get interpreted from a personal space because that's the, that's the only bit that's really that's the dominant piece that's operating for us. So I say something like, well, be patient. Oh, I've got to be a more patient person. I'm not a very patient person. I'll try to be more patient. Right, that's what I'll do. I'll be, and it's that thing's doing it again. You know? <laughs> so it just, it messes up, messes it all up. As you probably, those who are familiar, realize how, you know, meditation from a personality view is extremely painful. As we say, because it's like, you know, meditation should be calm, I've got to be calm. And again, it's that kind of sense of approval, disapproval, you're not good enough unless you're a calm person, something wrong with your personality, being too exuberant, shut up, quiet, then you'll be all right. And it's the same thing. You know, it's the same system of approval, disapproval, You've got to be like the teacher says. You've got to be like the group says. And it's the same, it's the same process happening again. Yeah. So you need to just add another personality form on top of the mess that's already there. <laughs> so you're going to kind of get this thing where you're just average kind of bumbling you know, a person with some lumpy bits and some curious bits. After meditating, you can give this incredible profile of what a complete mess you are because you've, <laughs> you've got even more values to fail at, you know. <laughs> you've really widened the spectrum of, of things you could be not good enough at. <laughs> Can't tolerate pain, not very diligent, no consistency, not re calm, not re gracious, not re loving, not, you know. So. <laughs> so, you know, because it's, it's heard and it's sensed through the, what the familiar patterning. And so sometimes people just start to, well, I'm going to get out of this, you know.
or you can rebel against it, but then that becomes another personality. <laughs> you think I'm a rebel, so okay, you've done that one. And But um, certain when we understand what sankharas are, essentially they are they're they're moving, they're energetic. They're, so I use the simile sometimes of a, a magnetic field. You know, you, so in some ways, a magnetic field is a continual um, flow of magnetic force. I'm never was any good at physics. It's a continually moving thing, and yet you you put iron filings down on it, and you've got this very consistent pattern. Yeah, you got that right. So there it is. It's solid. It's a particular pattern, very solid. Switch the current off, scramble it. Where did it go? You know. Um, so sankara is rather like these uh, of that nature, I would say. It's a good enough analogy, anyway. Now, if we, for a start, just start to turn down the voltage a little, weaken the field, weaken the force, then it's possible that some of those iron filings will no longer be held so tightly. They can be brushed aside. So you can just turn down the energy, turn down the force. You shift it, or you send it another way. As this example of uh, working with thinking, slow the thinking, right? Don't have to change the thinking, because that's a personality thing. So try to be someone who thinks nice thoughts or peaceful thoughts, or gets rid of that stupid whining, nagging mind and have another mind. That's the same personality function. Adopt another pattern. So what can be a, more, a skillful means is just to slow it right down without changing the thought line at all. And you find that in that shifting of energy, suddenly it doesn't seem so familiar. Once it's not familiar, there's a strange sense of, hey, it's just the voice. It could be anybody. I don't, you know, it lacks the same, same sense of conviction. And therefore, it doesn't have carry or um, catch the emotional charge. So our emotional charge, our effective mind, jumps up at particular thoughts. Oh, you know, believe it. Feel affected by it. Feel depressed by it. Feel excited by it. Feel proud of it. It's me. And then there's a feeling I'm a success, I'm a failure, I'm happy, I'm sad, whatever. You change the charge, it's just like suddenly you're not really able to to get the sense of the familiar being arising out of the thought patterning. You understand what I mean? Yeah. So when the, even the thoughts are there, it's like it's just thinking. It's just that. But 
you're not criticizing or blaming it, it's just the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Crazy thought. Mm-hmm. Or just the thoughts. So that's a sense of what it takes to to change that energy charge. It's not a psychological attitude, though that can help. Being more spacious, more loving, more whatever. But um, what is recommended is what's the samadhi process, which really works upon energies. That is, you you work with, say, the, the breathing particularly, anything will, you know, you want to do that with, to slow, to, that means that your energy is no longer operating at the same familiar rate. It's steadied, it's calmed, it's softened, it's sharpened, it's brightened, it's smoothed. And the thinking subdues. Be careful about that. Because it's not getting rid of thinking. You know, if you look at it like that, then what happens is the personality form takes issues with thinking and you become a person who doesn't like thinking. <laughs> or who's got a problem with thinking. Or should be someone who doesn't think so much. If you didn't think so much, you'd be a good meditator and you get into nibbana and you get an apple. <laughs> but your problem is you think too much, you're a bad person because you think too much, you're not a good meditator and you're never going to get into nibbana that way and you're not going to get an apple either. In fact, you're a complete failure and you disgust me. <laughs> and someday you can actually... After a while, we don't need anybody else to tell us that because we know the program so well that we can do our own praise-blame scenarios just in the privacy of our own homes any time of day or night. Don't need anybody else to do it for me. I'm now autonomous. I can screw myself up perfectly well. (laughs) Because it becomes internalized. That's what I call the inner tyrant. Yeah? It's particularly, uh, inner tyrant is particularly formed around personality. It's the internal force that keeps the praise-blame thing going internally. It's not very good on the praise. (laughs) It's mostly the blame, you know. Something wrong. So, you know, well, you shouldn't be someone who has an inner tyrant. That's another tyrant. You know, you can't, it doesn't go, it doesn't come away from purely psychological um, attitude. You actually shift the energy. So you, you can hear the tyrant. Oh, there she is. Hello. Having a bad day, tyrant? <laughs> you know, I'm going to do something that's really going to get you going, you know. I'm going to turn up late. <laughs> 
tyrants really go go crazy about that one. So let's turn up late and see what it does. You know? <laughs> I'm going to t- give a speech in public because the tyrant really loves that. You tell me all the things I've said wrong, should have, you know, um, I'm an idiot. Because any any public attention will tend to bring a tyrant into into the mind. I used to do this with Dhamma talks. I give a Dhamma talk and just wait. At the end of the talk, just wait for maybe three seconds before the tyrant would come and say, you forgot this, you didn't mention that, you went on too long, you know, everybody just basically endured that. It's like three seconds, maybe. So so I got to the point where I just sit and wait for it. (laughs) Because I knew it was going to happen, so let's get on, let's cut to the chase, you know. Firstly, you're not getting spooked by it because it's just part of the part of the system. And then, so you just kind of, uh-huh. see how it really gets you going. Perfect. So that's a certain psychology, you might say, around that. But, but uh, you know, the benefits of changing energy are you can actually sense yourself in a different form. You you have a different different form, the energetic form, where some of these old patterns, they they don't run down those tracks. It's like you've moved across the, the territory in a different way. So you haven't moved down the old tracks and you found there are different, there's a lot more territory there. Very often, uh, a lot of meditation systems emphasize slowing down. But I would say, if you can slow down, do it it relaxing is really important. (coughs) It's not to compulsively slow down or tight slow down. Slow down, shut up, quiet. Actually, just soften, relax. How much do you need, how fast do you need to go, how hard do you need to go, how quick do you need to be, how... Because all that urge, compulsion, push, drive, those are, you know, these personality traits, the driven sense. The urge sense. And it becomes, nobody else is asking that, but it becomes innate operate in that way. How much do you need? Generally for the personality in you know Western societies is more. You need to be stronger, quicker, faster, brighter, sharper, more, more, more. It's always escalating, isn't it? Up, further, tighter, faster, quicker. So you just come to slower, looser, more incompetent. <laughs> and at first it's uncomfortable sometimes because you just don't feel like yourself but you don't want to feel like yourself the value of practicing along the lines of samadhi are that, that it's comfortable also it actually feels agreeable because you're doing it in a careful way 
and you're tuning to uh, the basic, let's say, primary body energy, which is invigorating, is refreshing, isn't personal. No matter what kind of personality you have, you still breathe in and out. It's not a matter of uh, better or worse, or nobody really approves of your breathing or disapproves of it. Still, you meditate, of course. <laughs> then, you can number, then you can approve or disapprove of breathing. <laughs> so it's some possibility of, of just coming to, a, to an energy state that is, is not a personality issue. I was joking there, you know. But it's true, isn't it? Breathing wasn't a problem until he started meditating. And then the personality says, you know, breathing has got to be, you know, you've got to do it better, it's clearer, sharper, brighter, more mindful of it. And that thing then becomes a personality attribute that tightens up. And you go through the same tyrant syndromes around breathing in and out. So you go, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. So it's really, in, if you're practicing mindfulness of breathing, you've got to stop meditating. Just breathe. Just let the body breathe and sense what's happening here. Just keep it as innocent as possible. As least a quote-unquote practice as possible. You know what practice does, doesn't it? You've got to practice you're practicing well, you're not practicing so well, your practice is falling apart, he's really got a good practice. It's the same kind of rubbish. (laughs) You know, it becomes another personality tray. So stop practicing, stop meditating. Check those, whenever this thing takes over, you've got to challenge it. Is it possible just to have one, just to breathe, just to breathe out, one out breath, you know? What would that feel like when it's happening in your body? Things like that, that you can actually find a sense of something innocent, something unformed, unpremeditated, doesn't have to mean anything, doesn't have to succeed or get you anywhere, it's just what it is. You do that for one moment, you get some relief from that personality syndrome. Oh, you know, finally something got out off out of the game. And if you you know, if you do that once, you know, there's one moment. There's a chance that there's gonna there's gonna be another one. Because once you sense freedom, then you go for it. Maybe you've forgotten how it happened, but you once you get a scent of it, some of you were bigger, wider, carefree, unjudged, there's complete you know, no conclusions, no results. Oh. <laughs> you got off, you got out of the game, you know. And you sense something that happens by itself. So breathing in and out happens by itself. And to allow it to do so sometimes does require being deliberate because the system is so compulsive that 
you know, it's, associ- it's so associated with our mind patterns that that compulsive nuance or sense that's in the mind, the driven sense, the tight sense, the, actually transfers to your breathing without you knowing it. So there's a, there's a sort of held sense about that. The point in which it's also maybe that mindfulness of breathing isn't the best thing for you. You Do something else, chanting, mantras. So then actually slowing the breathing down, coming out of the compulsion, trying to get to really a bodily sense of that, what happens, how it happens by itself. Then you can feel that kind of energy feels brighter and you can sense it. Process of samadhi, once you've touched into that, is to then widen. So you get that widening, um, which means widening. It's like if you're looking at a painting and you see this painting. You see this tree, a bird on the tree, and the you know the particular plumage of the bird. And you look at this painting, you see that, and you widen. And you see the whole bird. You widen a bit more. You see the tree. You widen a bit more. You see the landscape. You widen it a bit more. You see the frame. You widen a bit more. You see the wall that the picture is hanging on. You haven't changed your object. You just widened your focus. Yeah. It's like that. A sense of widening your your attention span. When you widen your attention span, what will happen if if you're touching into that energy is the energy will widen with it. Check it out. It's also as if we are talking to, there's 50 people in the room and you're talking to one person right in front of you and then you want to address everyone with a sense of widening how you speak. Hmm? Widening the focus, rather like that. So that actually, there's a shift there. When you widen the focus, that that also is going to shift you out of the norm, normal focus, personality focus. So normally, our personalities are focused on particular points that we have to do because that's what performance is about. That's what performance and is about, isn't it? We don't get the sense of, well, could you sit there on the porch and just be spacious looking at the hill all day long? No, it said, could you tell me, you know, that particular point and what we're going to do about it? So it's a very, it's a tight focus. It's a point we're looking for. Get to the point. What's the point? Have you done something today? It's always a specific point rather than the field. You know? There's a kind of cramping around that. So when you widen your focus, you also tend to come out of that particular pattern, energy pattern that's associated with personality. 
you become a little more kind of spacious and slightly um, less intense. And that's good. You feel some ease. Great. You don't feel particularly driven to get anywhere. Good. You know, and with that, your your emotional sense becomes less intense, and things don't bother you that much. It's not you're trying to be calm and equanimous, but actually, when you when your emotional body is is looser and softer, it doesn't get so jangled. You know, when we're really uptight, you know, it's like when you're intense, you're intense. Little things really get on your nerves. You know, you've had a hard day at work and then you come back and the tap's dripping and you blow up. Because <laughs> the dripping tap or something, it's just the, the final bit. The little irritations become massive because your emotional body's too tense. If it's looser, you can sit here and there's people rustling and moving around and it doesn't, doesn't even register. And that's part of the kind of, you know, the thing you've got to, if you want to cultivate... Uh, samadhi, my recommendation, such as it is, is to is not to get more and more intense and concentrate hard, but actually get less and less intense. And then you then concentration or collectedness will happen because you're not getting thrown around by things. You know, things just drift through, and your mind became steady and calm in that spacious way. That's the way I would recommend it. Samadhi is always accompanied by quality of enjoyment. Enjoyment and ease. Piti and sukha. Those are the, the doorways to samadhi. It's not about intense application of effort to, to crunch down on a point. Yeah. It's about calming, opening, softening the energy through the whole body till you feel really light, peaceful, settled. Things don't bother you. There's no big deal. You feel happy, relaxed. Your mind settles. (laughs) It's like that. And you have to work on particular pieces of that. It's also, I would say... As I said before, it's not just the meditation, it's a way of life, actually. Of how to keep addressing your compulsiveness, familiarity patterns, doing the same things every day, the automatic, particular psychological behaviors that become automatic, you know, the one you always jump to. The places where you jump, either forwards or backwards. The places where you contract, you know, particular psychological pattern, particular voices you tighten up around. You know, oh, here I am again. Uh, Those kinds of things. It's a process of loosening, not trying to fix, not trying to change, but just softening the focus, widening, letting it be as it is.
letting it be as it is. But just widening and softening around how it is. It's not, you don't have to change the personality in order to come out of personality view. You just need to get less compulsive, less addicted to it, less believing in it, less fretful about it. Don't be so tight about it. It's more like that. So then, really radically, it's just to be the same old wacky person that you always were and you always dreaded being. <laughs> but it's kind of control freakery and it's, you know, evasive behavior and all that. And I just really just be like that. Great. That's this, you know, you know who she is. You just be that thing. But widen and soften around it. That's how you get out of the view. You don't have to change your personality. Just change the view. This personality view that has to go. And of course, by and large, what happens is when you change the view, you're looser and wider, so the personality does change. But not because you wanted it to, or because you had some, some idea of making it different. It's just personality, because it actually is a liquid thing that's got locked, its nature is to change when, you, when it's not held in the same remorseless, relentless prison of this is what I am. It softens it and it generally changes towards the more joyful, the more humorous, the more warm-hearted, the more at ease. Yeah? By and large, that's where it goes. If it makes you more neurotic and screwed up, it's probably not such a good idea. <laughs> but you have to, you know, if you want to be certain you can't do this practice, you know, you get a sense of, uh, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be, you know. Um, and uh, then what you, you know, it's a very, so it's just very immediate. Very immediate change of view. Notice it because it, it always, when you, when I said that thing of pay attention, meet what arises, every time something arises, the first thing that will come in for most people is their personality approach to that. That's the first thing. That's the one we know. That's the first horse out of the stable is good on me again, you know. Because that's the one I know. That's that's the most. So just check, stop, pause. Don't change the topic. Don't deflect. But pause. Wait around that. Soften, widen. See what happens. You know? So that way we really. Take it afresh every every day, every moment. And it's uh, there's some joy in that. When the mind is joyful and at ease, it naturally steadies, calms what we call samadhi.
settling. Right. So this morning I thought I would just propose a little something some of you may know about. It's particularly, um, I find it useful for working with those tyrant forms and those familiarity forms. I call it aimless wandering. You know how your mind wanders and you really don't want it to wander? This is celebrate wandering. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's also a way of of meeting things as they arise in a a way that's unpremeditated. So what it means basically is wandering, physically moving around, with no particular long-term aim, but just to meet what's happening. So it could be noticing the grain of wood on the floor. Hey, I never really noticed that before. Because I always kind of get out to do the walking meditation and get on with it. There's problems in my mind. I'm busy, sort this out. Why am I always this way? You know, do I need to do walking? Perhaps I should do some sitting. I just hey look at that see kind of grains of wood on the floor the light coming in you know it's been 25 years since I noticed that doesn't have to mean anything, it's just a sense of, oh, and then maybe you stand up and feel the floor is kind of smooth, textures, a little bit of grain, and you can feel the edges between these small slabs of wood under your toes. Reminds me of when I used to wriggle my toes in the sand. A little bit of memory come up. That was kind of, you know, how you sort of drop into a much more loose state and memories come up, joyful memories come up. You're touched by things. You just walk around. You know, there's a person in front of you. A design on the shawl. It's nice, isn't it? Rather than, oh, she's getting in my way. So just it's like that. It's just what it, what arises and you just meet it. It could be a sound or a silence or a, th- or a memory, a physical sensation. And then you, as you, if you manage to get out of the hall, you might get transfixed by the grain of wood. <laughs> it is psychedelic moments, you know. <laughs> but then... Well, where do you want to go? There's all of America out there, you know. Texas, Missouri. <laughs> so walk and see what feels, oh, feel the coolness or the warmth of the sun. Move around, you hear the crunch of the gravel. Feel the, just take it a moment at a time and just let it, let it go where you want it to go or where it, where it wants to go.
No point in this. Wasting your time again. <laughs> Never get to Nirvana this way. <laughs> so you hear a few of those kind of things going on. Uh huh. Sure. <laughs> but you can feel yourself maybe dropping a little bit, softening a little bit. I always wanted to be like this, really. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a little piece we can play with to deflect some of those kind of intense, driven attitudes. Yeah. So let's uh, have um, ring a bell after 45 minutes. And yeah. If you wandered off state. <laughs> so we'll have so there'll be some dialogue at ten fifteen in one oh one in the yoga room. <laughs>